pastor's got a word for you today. Oh, I'll say it another way. Say, God's got a word for you today. How many want to hear what God has to say? Now, I'm telling you, you need to sit up in your chair and you need to listen to this message. I'm excited. I'm preaching. Uh, Victory is yours. I'm in the uh, Winning Your War series. And we're talking about that. We're talking about staying the course and winning your war. Everybody shout, winning your war. And so we're going to be picking back up in Judges. And we're going to go to Judges chapter 3. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, We're going to go verse by verse. And uh, this week I'm going to preach on Othniel, Israel's first judge. I'm excited about that. I had to really dig. I like to pick characters in the Bible that there's not much written about. But they're in the Bible. Why are they there? Why did God take the time to mention them? And so we're going to flesh that out today. Next week I'm going to follow him with Ahud. And uh, we're going to talk about him. And we're going to talk about Deborah and Jael. We're going to talk about Shamgar. Shamgar is only one verse attributed to him. But we're going to preach a whole message on him before it's over with. So we got a lot of good things coming. Amen. Victory is yours. Just say that. Just say victory is mine. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, the Bible says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formally. I want you to find that that's very interesting to me. God said there's a generation that don't know how to fight. But I'm going to leave some enemies in their path to teach them how to fight. Because God wants us to fight. Now, we don't fight people. We fight in the spirit realm. We fight evil spirits and demons and devils and all that kind of stuff. God intends for us to fight. So if you say, I'm just tired of fighting, I don't ever want to fight again, then you're going against what God has for our life. So let me go on with this. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and all the Sidonians and the, all, and the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon from Mount Belhermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites and all the other rites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Uh Uh-oh, it's going south quick. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. That was the gods, the pagan gods of the day. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so they sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishithium, king of Mesopotamia, and the sons of Israel served Cushan Resedium eight years. Now that word served there means they were slave to. So instead of serving God, they have now become slaves to a pagan evil king. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, that word cried there means a, it, it's to cry out. It's an assembling together and a proclamation of Christ. Basically, it was a big prayer party, a prayer meeting, essentially, where they cried and they desperately pleaded for God to help them. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. 
He, when he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Residium, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed over Cushan Residium. Then the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence and your word. And I got, God, I'm excited about this message. I, I pray, Father God, you want me to communicate it the way you've given it to me. I pray that the word of God come forth in spirit and truth and power and in might. Not in word and tongue only, God, but in power and in deed. God, I pray, Lord, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. And we'll give you the glory and the honor for this. And may you add your many blessings to your word. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up, whatever form you have. If you got it on the phone, you version. Don't forget we have notes on there. This is boldly declare, Father. Today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated and say victory is yours. You know, the family unit can be a complicated issue. We all love to get together with family we haven't seen in a long time at Thanksgiving or Christmas or so forth. But as one person said, being with guests and family that you haven't seen in a while sometimes is kind of like fresh fish begin to stink after three days. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so we love our family. Of course you do. But after time, you, you're ready for that break again. The family unit can be, can be loving and fun. It can be challenging. It can be hard. Some people can be hard to eat Thanksgiving meal next to. Some people can be easy to eat Thanksgiving next, uh, meal next to. Well, at the annual family reunion picnic, a young bride brought her husband over to a little old woman sitting, crocheting in a rocking chair. And she said real loud so she could hear, Granny! And she just kind of patted her on the hand. The dear little old lady looked up at her. She said, Granny, I want to introduce you. This is my new husband. Well, Granny just kind of looked at him. And stared at him and stared until it got very uncomfortable. And she said, do you want children? He was kind of taken back by her bluntness and by her staring a hole through him. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, I do. I, I want children very much. Well, she looked around scornfully at the troop of children around six picnic tables. Looked back up at him and she said, try to control it. <laughs> The family unit can be interesting. Families on vacation can be interesting. You know, who can forget Winston Churchill's immortal words? We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. One person said, that sounds like my last family vacation. <laughs> we fought everywhere. How many know what I'm talking about? What you do matters to future generations. It inspires them to do great things for God. The inheritance that God gave to Caleb was a land called Hebron or Kiriath Arba, which was the land of the giants. Arba was the father of Anak, which was the Anakites or the giants. 
And Caleb went to the mountain to take his hill, but he knew he needed help. So we find if you cross-reference Judges with Joshua, you get a lot of the same stories. Joshua chapter 15, verse 13 through 16, tells us a little bit about him looking for help. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Yephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. And from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. So he drove all the giants out. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly known as Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, okay, I need some help. He said, I'll give my daughter Aksaw in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. He promised his daughter in marriage. It was a very customary thing back in ancient Israel when they were looking for help. And so enter Othniel. Everybody say Othniel. I'm going somewhere with this today, and I'm excited where we're going. Joshua chapter 15, verse 17. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. So he gave him Maxaw, his daughter, as a wife. He was the son of Caleb's younger brother, so he was his nephew. In those days, it was okay for the nephew to marry uh, within family. It wasn't until later that they began to branch out and marry outside of the family because they were a small group of people. He led a battalion of soldiers under his command and conquered the city. His name, Othniel, this is where it starts to get good, means the Lion of God or the Force of God. Now, that's something to write down right there. His name means Lion of God. Everybody say that with me, Lion of God. Now, if you study lions, you will find that they are the king of the jungle. I've watched, I've watched many, many programs on lions. I've never seen yet an animal attack the lion. It's always the lions attacking the animals. Now, you might have a little lioness cub that maybe some hyenas get around and get, but full-grown lions, when they're in a pride, they're not, they don't get attacked. They are the ones to attack. I, I want to tell you something. Just like Othniel, we are lions of God as well. Let me, let me say that again. Just like Othniel, we are lions of God as well. As a matter of fact, we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As a matter of fact, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the whole world, the king of kings lives inside of you and inside of me. So I have a question for you today. How can we lose? Let me say it again. How can we lose if we serve the line of the tribe of Judah and the king of kings lives inside of us, then how can we lose? With this in mind, I declare we need to charge the hill in the spirit realm. Somebody say a good amen. We need to understand that we are lion's offsprings, not mouse's offspring. There are too many in the church that are cowered down like a mouse running from the mere sight of anything and scared to death of their own shadow. I'm telling you in the spirit realm, it's time that we rise up like the lion of God that we are, like the spirit of Othniel inside of us. We need to rise up like the person inside of us is Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Listen, lions don't ever back down. They don't ever back up. They charge forward. I declare we need to charge the 
the hill in the spirit realm. We need to forcefully proclaim the promises of God. We need to declare victory in the name of Jesus. No matter how bad anything looks, we need to know we are the ones victorious because we have Jesus Christ in our lives. Somebody say amen. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get tired. That doesn't mean a good soldier needs to get a reprieve for a while. That doesn't mean that there needs to be this or that. But I'm saying, by and large, we need to charge the hill. And when the enemy push back, we need to keep stepping forward and keep moving ahead. Because we are lion's offspring. Woo! Lions aren't afraid of anything. You know, they have no fear. Do you know 365 times in the Bible, the Bible tells us, do not fear in some form or fashion. In other words, it's like God said, there are 365 days in the year. I'm going to give you a different scripture for every day of the year so you will not walk in fear. Wow. Why? Because we are the offspring of lions spiritually. Why do you think the devil throws so much against you? Because he wants you to quit because he knows he can't whip you. Why do you think he whispers in your ear, just give up, just quit, don't pray it anymore, it ain't doing no good? Because he knows you are a lion spiritually. We should be afraid of nothing. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. We survive in a family. Lions survive in a family. I, I told you several weeks ago, Holly and I, we haven't watched it recently, but we've been watching this we pull up shows on Africa and, and the big cats in Africa. And I'm, I'm just fascinated with it. And Haley watches sometimes with us. And we're watching these big lions. And it's, it's unbelievable if you watch the, over and over, Sonny, no matter what, they always say, this lion will not survive on its own. This lion, if it doesn't get in a pride, will die. Even the chief male line of the tribe will say, if he goes on his own, he will not make it. He has to have the family. He has to have the pride. Lions cannot survive on their own. Well, guess what? We are part of the line of the tribe of Judah. We are the offspring of lions. And just like lions in the natural can't survive on their own, guess what? You and I cannot survive on our own. Somebody shout amen. We cannot do life on our own. We must have the family of God. Now, can I come to you as a pastor for a little while? Is that all right? How many will say, I want to hear what pastor has to say? I, want, I, need, I need to know what God is saying through pastor. How many want to hear what? How many want to hear a little bit of a pastoral message for a few minutes? This is why you come to church in person. And if you're watching me online now, please do not tune me out. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to bless one another. We need to love on one another. Believe with each other. How do I get victory in my life? And this leads me straight into point one, and that is stay with the family. Everybody say that with me, please. Stay with the family. Listen, the church isn't perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you didn't find one here and you're never going to find one. However, having said that, we were designed not to be on our own. We need one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, 
Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What happens when we meet together? The Bible says, if you'll just leave that. Go back to verse 24 for just a second, if you will, Sandy. I know I threw you a curveball right there. Look at you. You're on it. And let us consider, watch this. When we meet together, we spur one another towards love and good deeds. When the only church you have is in your living room, who's spurring you on to love and good deeds? I knew it was going to get quiet. That's why I set you up and I said, let me just talk to you pastorally for a few minutes. I've got a word from God for you to just hang with me. All the more as you see the day approaching, the second coming of the Lord, the worse the world gets, the more the Bible says we should be getting together to spur one another to love and good deeds. Some people say, listen, I've heard this. I don't need to be in the church, pastor, because I am the church. Well, let's examine that for a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Slip down in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. All of you together are Christ's body, and watch this, and each of you, are you an each? Are you a you? Poke your neighbor and say, you. Poke your neighbor and say, each of you. Poke your other neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Look to the other neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Watch this. Each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. I want you to catch this. You've got to catch this. I need you to pay attention for the next few moments very closely. Here's some of the things he said. Here's some of the parts. He said, first are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages or speak in tongues. All, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. The Bible says, of course not, explanation point. Now we look at that and we say, well, Paul wrote that. No, the Holy Spirit wrote that. You know what the Holy Spirit is saying? Nobody has all the gifts. So you should, watch this, earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So watch this. Each of us, listen closely, when we are in church, bring different gifts to the table. Brother Dale Andrews, you have a different gift than I do. Sonny, you have a different gift than I do. Tracy, you have a different gift than I do. I got a different gift than you, and you, and you, and you, and, and, and everybody in here. We all have different gifts in different ways. When we come to church together like this, we all bring our gifts to the table as parts of the body of Christ. So if you're, listen, listen to me, don't tune me out if you're watching me online now. So if your church is you alone in your house, then you're missing out on all the other gifts you don't have. Let me say that again. So if your church is church alone in your home every week, you're missing out on all the other gifts you don't have but need. It's like getting a Christmas gift that you never get to open. 
Or it's like going to a gift exchange, but the person who drew your name doesn't show up, so you're the only one that goes home without a gift. That's what happens when we decide not to come. Listen, everybody misses for vacation and sickness and those kind of things. But regularly attending church, there's a reason God puts us in a body and tells us to meet together because there's other people out there that need your gift. Suppose the gift you need today is in someone who just decided, I don't feel like going. Guess who's going home without the gift and what they needed that day? Is it all right to continue to be pastoral? Let me lighten it up a little bit. You know, talking about Christmas gifts, it made me... Laugh because I always think about when uh, Caitlin was about, I guess she was about five, and we gave her a little Barbie doll for Christmas, one of her presents. And all of a sudden, it was, it was probably an hour later, 30 minutes later, something like that, it, I heard this blood-curdling scream. We all did. We all went running. My brother-in-law, my sister, we all went running. We thought, what happened? She's screaming to the top of her lungs, holding a Barbie doll with a burnt-off leg. I mean, it was charred. And there was no leg left. And we said, what happened? Haley was like two. She got the Barbie doll and held it over a candle until she burnt the whole Barbie doll's leg off. I mean, you know how hard rubber that is, how long she had to do that? And it's smoking. Well, we didn't know that's what she did. My brother-in-law's grabbing it and it's smoking. He goes, is this thing electric? How's this thing on fire? Nobody could figure it out. Well, then we tried to help Caitlin to play with it. Caitlin, don't you love your Barbie? No, I hate it. We were like, oh, but it's a handicap Barbie. Here, don't you want a handicap Barbie? And she went, no. And we said, oh, the poor Barbie has nobody to play with. Look, it's a handicap. And she took the Barbie. No. And she threw it. She didn't want any part of that thing. Nothing to do. We could never get her to touch that Barbie doll. There are some fun things that happen with this. But I want to tell you, we need all the gifts in order. Listen, we need all the gifts in order to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. We need you, and watch this, you need us. Let me say that again. We need you, and you need us. Because we all carry different gifts. Now, I'm going to say something very strong. Please don't tune me out. Listen, it is incredibly self-centered, and incredibly selfish, yes, the Lord put this on me to say, to say, well, I can stay home and watch online and get everything I need. Okay? Why? Because then the church doesn't get everything it needs from you. And that's what we've created in America, is we've created a self-centered church that's all about what can I get for me. Where is the mindset that says, wait a minute, I have gifts I need to be in the house of God because people may need what I have. Can I say that again? It is incredibly selfish and self-centered to say I can stay home and get everything I need. What about what you're supposed to give to other people? Y'all still like this pastoral preaching? I'm going to keep going. What about what you're supposed to give others? Have we become so self-minded and so self-interested that we've lost sight of the fact that we are here to pour out who we are for the betterment of the kingdom of God? This is, listen, I'm not talking about people that are unhealthy and can't come for a physical reason or other reasons. I'm talking about people that lay out. We need to be in the house of God and we have something to offer. 
What are we doing with the talents that we have? Because I read in the Bible that the man that hid his talent, God said, I'm taking it from you, giving it to another, I'm casting you into outer darkness. Listen, that we have, everyone has such value and gifts to offer. I know my papa used to say, I can't preach anymore, I can't do anything, but I can pray. And that man would pray for over seven to 800 organizations, people, you name it. He would spend hours every day. And he'd say, I will pray until the day I die because I can do something for God. Have we gotten so self-centered in the church world today that we've lost sight? That church is now about only what I can get and not what can I offer to someone else? We need you and what you bring to the body of Christ. That's why it's so important, listen, to go to the church where God tells you go. This is why it's so important to go where the Holy Spirit places you. Why? Because where he tells you to go, he knows that body needs what you have to offer. And that body has what you need. Is anybody hearing me today? I feel still fire with that. Well, pastor, that's easy for you to say you're the pastor. Oh, I left all my family and everything I ever knew to come to Cincinnati, Ohio because God needed me and my family's gifts for this body. I've done it and will continue to do it. Listen, in America, we've gotten so self-centered. People go to church based off, well, it's great for my kids. It's, I, they got a great kids ministry, so I'll go there because it's helping my kids. And they got a great teen ministry, I'll do this. And I'm getting fed, and my kids are getting fed, and we're getting fed, 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 fed. Listen, we've got enough sermons. Listen, we got so many church people that are spiritually fat that need to do something with the word they got. Is it okay if I keep preaching today? I know some of you are looking at me sideways. I'm going to preach it just the way God gave it to me. Amen? It should be about where is God planting us? This is the reason we, he plants us for where we're supposed to be because there's something in us that the body needs and the body has something we need. I ask you to remember John F. Kennedy. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Well, let me give you another quote. Dallas Howard. You ready? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. And I don't mean the building. I mean the body of Christ. Listen, God, you go where the Holy Spirit tells you to go because that's where you get what you need and what you give what other people need. Can somebody say amen? Is that all right to anybody? And I'm going to say something very brazen here even now. Listen, praise God. I'm going to say something even more brazen. That means when the Holy Spirit places you in a body, that means you show up even if it's at 3 o'clock in Harrison because you need something from that body and that body needs something from you. It's called a circle, like the circle of life. We need each other if we're going to make it. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 21 says it this way. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, the, if the foot should say, because I have, I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed. Do you see that? God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
Who's placed us in the body? What gifts do we have? Who put that in us? Just as he wanted. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. A person cannot say to the church, I have no need of you. The church cannot say to the person, I have no need of you. We need one another. It is only together that we make up the body of Christ. Now listen, Jesus Christ was our example. And you know what? He loved the church. Look what Luke 4.16 says. Watch this. So, it, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was. He went to the synagogue. He went to church on the Sabbath day. On the day they would go to church. And stood up to read. His custom was to be in the house of God. I have a question. Is your custom to be in the house of God? Are you a sporadic from time to time attender? Or is it your custom to be in church? They knew where Jesus was and where he would be. Here's a good barometer. Ask your children what some of your family customs are. If they say, well, we go to dinner, we watch movies on Thursday night, but they never mention church. I'm going to say something strong, but I'm going to say it the way I feel it in my spirit. Then can it be said that your family's not Christ-like? Because Christ was in church. Y'all still love me? <laughs> Pete, I'm going to need bodyguard today. I feel it. I sense this. I don't know what gives it away, but I feel it. If Christ was always in church, but we're not in that aspect, we're not Christ-like. Now again, everybody misses for vacation, sick or whatever. Jesus, I'm sure, missed from time to time for whatever reason. But listen, his regular custom was. Say, well, pastor, I'm a regular attender. If, you, if you're a definition of regular attender is once a month, then that is not Christ-like. I better keep going. Recently, I was with a family and I thought, it would be cute to ask the six-year-old to pray. I said, hey, would you like to pray over the meal? And she looked up, and no uncertain tone. She's raised in church, goes to church every Sunday. Family loves God. They read the Bible, the whole deal. She looked up. She said, oh, no, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> Her dad said, oh, oh, yes, we do. That's great. That's just great. Tell your Uncle Dallas we don't pray anymore. Your preacher Uncle Dallas. That's what we need to do. Would your Sunday worship and your small group attendance make others say your custom is to regularly be in church? What Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as, watch this, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, Jesus loves the church. I hear people say, man, I, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. Well, then you got a problem. You're not lining up with Jesus. If you love Jesus and you hate his church, then you're not like Christ-like because he loves the church. He loves when we gather together. Jesus loves when we set all of our differences aside and just worship him. Amen. Woo! 
Jesus loves when we set our differences aside and says we're going to come together under the name of Jesus. Let bygones be bygones. Let differences be set aside. And we're just going to love one another. Woo! In spite of our faults, in spite of our differences, if we're around each other long enough, we can all spot each other's faults. But hey, let's just remember, we all come together under the banner of the name of Jesus Christ. He loves it. Jesus loves it when we act as his body and show love to those around us. He loves it because there's so many people around us and within our church that are hurting and broken and they need you. Have you ever thought that maybe God is sending you to the house of God because you're the gift to heal somebody's broken heart that day? Let me say it again. You're the gift to heal that broken heart. Maybe you're the gift on that Sunday that God is going to use to save that little boy and that grandma's been praying for for 40 years. Maybe you're the answer to somebody's prayer. We get so self-absorbed with what can I get out of worship? What can I get out of church? What about what can I do for Jesus today? When was the last time you got up and said, God, here I am today. Anybody you send my way, I'm going to love on them. I'm going to minister to them. God, whatever I have, it may not be much, but I'm going to use what I have for your glory. Just sit them, put, sit them right next to me, whoever it is. How do I get victory in my life? Not only stay in the family of God, but rely on the Holy Spirit. Now the message will let up a little bit for you. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Look what Judges 3, 9 through 10 says. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, watch this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Their cry to God for help... Their big gathering together prayer meeting, their shout, their cry aloud, their, their proclamation for help. God said, I hear you, and I'm going to send the Spirit of God to help you. Now, you have to understand the New Testament, that's more common, but in the Old Testament, this was very rare. As a matter of fact, this is the first time in the book of Judges this happens. This is the first reference to God's Spirit in the book of Judges. As a matter of fact, there are only four men that the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon in the whole book of Judges. Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Watch this. When the people of God cried out, God sent the Holy Spirit. So watch two things happen immediately if you follow the Scripture. Number one, the Spirit of God came on Othniel immediately. God picked a person and said, it's on you. The Spirit of God's on you. The second thing immediately that happened was Othniel went to war. So I want you to hear me. Listen, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God does not come upon you to make you feel good or give you goose pimples. The Spirit of God comes upon you for war. Amen. Now, this isn't the Old Testament. We're not fighting people groups. This is the New Testament. And Ephesians 6, 12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, God doesn't fill you with his Holy Spirit for you to sit on it and worship and feel good and do nothing. He commands us for war. 
War in intercession. War in prayer. War in praise. War in worship. War with the word. We need to use the spiritual tools coupled with the Holy Spirit to win our wars. It's okay today. I've got a question for you. If not, why else would you need power? Why else would you need the Holy Spirit upon you? If not to go to war and win a battle. Why does God fill us with the Holy Spirit? To fight a spiritual war. you got family members dying and go to hell. You're filled with the Spirit. Fight! You're believing for healing. Fight! You're believing for breakthrough and liberty. Fight! Somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit's got to pick us up and say, Man, God filled me with His Spirit to go to war, and I will not lose with God. Woo! So they did, and the result was victory, right? Why? Because it's not by might or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. All then becomes Israel's first judge. Now you have to understand, the first uh, the function of a judge in those days was to serve as a military deliverer and a civil authority who managed the affairs of a nation. Basically, Othniel was the general of the army and the president of Israel. He did it all. The Spirit of God came upon him. Watch this. It was the Holy Spirit that gave spiritual leadership to Othniel. But God didn't give Othniel his Holy Spirit for him to shout in his own house and wave his hands and feel goose pimples. He put the Holy Spirit on him, watch this, not for his own benefit, but the benefit of everyone around him. God fills us with the Holy Spirit, not for our own selfish gain, but for everyone he puts us in contact with. It's never about us. It is always about God and other people. Let me say it again. It is never about us. It is always about the kingdom of God and other people. So God says, here what we need. He says, I need what Greg Easton, who he is, the person he is, the gifts he has, and I placed him at Bridge of Hope for such a time as this. I need him and I need Peggy's gifts because the body needs you. And yes, we do. Woo! Somebody shout glory. Woo! Man, I feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you win your war. I could give you a hundred reasons of things that the Holy Spirit does for you. But let me just hit you a couple very quickly. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth of God's word. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. When you don't understand a scripture, all you have to do is pray for the Holy Spirit to interpret it and teach it to you, and he will. He'll help you understand. The Holy Spirit comforts us. John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Just as a comforter on a cold night feels so good and warm, so the Holy Spirit will comfort you when you're hurting and when you're in pain. He is there to comfort you. The Holy Spirit floods our hearts with joy, Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Man, I just I could list a bunch more, but I want to hit one last point very quickly. How else can you get victory in your life and win your war? 
Point number three is this. Trust God for deliverance. God is our great deliverer. 2 Samuel 22 and 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my what? And my? And my? And my? And my? I got a question. How many of you have ever been delivered or something? You ever been delivered to alcohol or drugs or lying or cheating or stealing or pornography or gossip or slander? Raise your hand up. Have you ever been delivered? Glory to God. God is still our great deliverer. Woo! John Patton, a missionary in the New Hebrides. It's, it's so hard to pronounce. It looks like Hebrides, but it's... It's Hebrides Islands, was surrounded one night by locals, and they were mad, and they were ready to kill them. They were going to burn the house down, get them to run out and kill them. They prayed in that terror-filled night, him and his wife, fervently. And the next morning, they got up, looked out, and they were all gone. He wondered what happened. A year later, the chief of the tribe got saved. He remembered the night. He said, hey, I got a question. A year ago, you were coming to burn my house down and kill us. Why did you leave? He said, well, it was all those men standing around your house. He said, men... It was just me and my wife. He said, oh, no, it wasn't. He said, there were big, huge armed men with swords circling around your place. And we were terrified, so we ran for our lives. My God, he's still our deliverer. I said, he's still our deliverer. I wonder how many times... Listen, you think you know the attacks you've been under. I want to tell you, how many times has a devil showed up to your house and said, well, we better keep on packing because there's some, some angels with flaming swords in every direction and we better not mess with them today. You better hit the road because we're going to get our tail up. How many times the devil had an accident put your way and you didn't even know it and God put angels around you and then you never even knew there was a possible accident and a list could go on and on and on. I said, God is still our great Deliverer! Woo! Here's just a few things, and we'll close with a neat little story, and just a few things God will deliver you from. God will deliver you from all temptation. Wow. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I come to tell you, God will give you a way out of temptation. God will also deliver you from evil works. Look what 2 Timothy 4.18 says, and the Lord will deliver me. I said, and the Lord will deliver me. I said, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory. Glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that. Pastor, I got to quit cussing. God will deliver you from that evil work. God, Pastor, I, I got to quit. I got to quit watching pornography. God will deliver you from every evil work. Pastor, I got to quit slandering everybody. God will deliver you from every evil work. Pastor, I lie all the time, even when I don't have to. God will deliver you from every evil work. Pastor, I really got to quit sleeping around on my spouse. God will deliver you from every evil work. What I'm here to tell you is there is no bondage God can't deliver you from there is nothing you can't be free from he is the great deliverer Woo! God will deliver you from the traps of the enemy we already talked a little bit about but here's the scripture Psalm 91 3 for it is he who delivers you 
from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. God will deliver you from intimidation and fear. Jeremiah 1.8 says it this way. I believe... Uh, 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 why is there two there? Well, here's what Jeremiah 1.8 says. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. God will deliver you in closing, even when it seems like he won't. Do you trust God to deliver you despite the circumstances you see? During the Holocaust in France, a Jewish family was hidden by some concerned French nationalists. In the basement of their house. The Jews in that house wanted and waited for their deliverance. At the end of the war, they survived. The French people had spared their lives. The war was over. They were, their lives were saved. When they left the house, the French nationalists went down in the basement to which they had not been down there. And they found these words scribbled on the wall. I believe in the sun even when it doesn't shine. I believe in love even when it is not given. And I believe in God even when he is silent. Now this is just a mix-mash type message here today. One point, stay with the family of God. One point, rely on the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, trust God to be your deliverer. Othniel did all those things. And the Bible says that God gave Israel... Total victory, and their land had rest for 40 years. 